Okay. Hi, everyone, and welcome to our weekly session. Today, we're talking about weight because that's a biggie. That's a big symptom when it comes to dealing with the thyroid, optimizing the thyroid, and dealing with hormone imbalance like insulin, like estrogen, testosterone, progesterone. So we are going to go through a lot today. I'm Amy Horneman, functional medicine practitioner, nutritionist, and specialist in treating thyroid conditions, broken metabolisms, and hormone imbalances. My goal for over 24 years has always been to help my patients get their life back. And that's what we're here to give you. We're giving you the simple, actionable strategies to actually fix your thyroid. That's why I created the Thyroid Fix Podcast. So if you're struggling with weight, energy, brain fog, and hair loss, then hey, you're in the right place. Let's get you fixed. So the title of this is Obesity is Not a Disease. It's a Symptom. Are you finally at your wit's end where you are tired of dealing with doctor after doctor? Maybe you've spent thousands on integrative or functional practitioners that have not helped you at all because they don't know the thyroid and hormones. They're not even testing properly. So come work with myself and my team. We prescribe to all 50 states and parts of Canada. I have you covered. I've been building this team for years so that I could help you no matter where you are. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes, book a free application call. We're going to go over your current health situation, what worked, what hasn't worked, all the things. And then we will pair you up with the right program for you where we will do it all. You will come out the other side of the program, totally optimized, getting your life back. You're going to recognize the person you see in the mirror again. Doesn't that sound absolutely amazing? Well, it might sound... Like you don't even believe it, but I promise you, I promise you, we will take good care of you. So click the link in the show notes, book a call today, and we'll be talking to you soon. So often in the medical community, we are being told that obesity is a disease and that is completely false. And obesity is also not the cause of a lack of willpower, sloth, gluttony, whatever you want to term it, it is not necessarily your fault. Now, are there a few people that hit the McDonald's a little bit too often? Sure. And that's not helping the situation. But as we go through all of the information today, you will see it really comes down to what's going on inside of your body. So of course, I always talk about the thyroid. That is my specialty. So we kind of have to start there, don't we? The thyroid is the master of your metabolism. It is the master gland. And I don't think that we give the thyroid the admiration that we should because it really controls all of our systems. So when we're talking about metabolism, of course, we are talking about the cell functions, ATP, how your, your mitochondria function. So we're talking about basically the energy of the cell. And that is where we get the ability to burn fat. So weight gain is associated with hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's because our metabolic rate literally slows down with hypothyroid, hypo, hypo, think low, hypo, hypothyroidism, everything is slowed to a halt. So that's where we see hair growth cycles start to slow down. 
our metabolism slows down, our energy slows, our mood slows down. Without proper optimization of the thyroid, we are always going to be in that low state. So weight loss slows down, weight gain increases. That's pretty much the only thing that increases is weight gain, but weight loss definitely slows, energy slows. So until we optimize the thyroid, really get all of those numbers in an optimal state, not just normal, but optimal, optimize your thyroid, get you on the right medication, the right dose, and look at everything else that comes into play your ferritin levels, your insulin levels, which we'll get to in a minute, whether or not you're estrogen dominant, um, all these different factors, your cortisol levels, all these factors that come into play to determine whether or not your thyroid is optimized is of utmost importance. And we have to look at all of them. So optimization of the thyroid is number one. The other thing is when we're talking about uh, weight gain, obesity, and it being a symptom of something else underlying, obesity is a symptom of hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's, whether you're diagnosed or undiagnosed. And that's the problem. You could be walking around obese, constantly gaining weight, not losing no matter what you do. That is a symptom and it's not a disease. You do not have the disease of obesity. You have the disease of something metabolic going on. You have metabolic chaos going on in your body. You have hypothyroidism, Hashimoto's, insulin resistance, leptin resistance, too much estrogen, too little estrogen, too much testosterone, too little testosterone, not enough progesterone. And you might even have a genetic polymorphism, a little snip, a little blip in your DNA that can also cause a person to not be able to lose weight no matter what they do diet and exercise wise. We'll get into that. I promise. So part two, we went over hypothyroidism. If you need more information, you can go to my YouTube channel. I have a ton of videos. You can scroll through Facebook, a ton of videos, tons of information on hypothyroidism to get you to better understand. And of course, you can always reach out to me. We can always work together. Optimizing the thyroid is number one. Part two. So, you know, I've said this before, and I know a lot of you feel me when I'm saying this. I used to, used to, before my thyroid was optimized and I treated insulin and all that, used to look sideways at a brownie and gain weight. So I sometimes use that phrase, in a joking manner, but yet turns out researchers have discovered that you literally can look at food and gain weight. So researchers have discovered, and I want to give this to you properly, it is the orexin A protein, and it's known to be activated by physical activity, thoughts, and mood in the brain. So what they did is they actually studied all y'all who are looking at food porn, like going through Pinterest, watching the Food Network cooking channels, and constantly bombarding yourself with these pictures of these awesome brownies and pizza and these gourmet dishes. You can actually gain weight from doing that. What happens is this particular protein triggers a cascade of insulin. So we have excess insulin secretion. And when we have that, as most of you know, and you've heard me say before, excess insulin is not good. 
that becomes a situation of fat storage. Whenever we have hyperinsulinemia, say that five times fast, hyperinsulinemia, whenever you are in an excess insulin state, you are in a fat storage mode. We need insulin to survive. But at the same time, ask a type one diabetic, hey, you need to take your insulin every day to survive, right? Yes. What if you want to lose weight? Do you take less insulin? Yes. And this is actually an eating disorder categorized under type 1 diabetics where people will purposely, and this is a very dangerous eating disorder because they can die, will purposely not give themselves insulin in order to lose weight. Insulin is the fat storage hormone. So now we are finding that through this orexin A protein, we can actually increase our insulin secretion by looking at food. By getting into this this food porn addiction of looking at all these yummy recipes and scrolling through all recipes all day long, trying to find your next treat that you're going to make for yourself. The other part to that, coming back to insulin, is insulin resistance. Whenever you are resistant to insulin. So we have have two categories of persons with insulin issues. The majority have insulin resistance, where the cells are actually resistant to the insulin that is needed. We just said insulin is needed. Think of type 1 diabetics. Insulin is needed to survive. It has to get into the cell. If there is an excess situation where the cells are resistant to the insulin trying to get in, there will be an insulin excess in the body. This will push up blood glucose levels and you will be in a fat storage mode. Now, the other portion of the population has excess insulin secretion by the pancreas. And this is an issue with the islet cells in the pancreas themselves producing too much insulin. Now, some type 2 diabetics have both issues. We know type 2 diabetics are insulin resistant, but they also have excess insulin secretion by the pancreas in the beginning until they get to the point where their pancreas completely shuts down. It says, listen, I'm tired of this. You keep making me pump out insulin left and right and can't do it anymore. So it completely shuts down and then a person becomes insulin dependent diabetic. Now, can this be reversed? Absolutely. Yes. Especially if we catch it in the beginning stages We have successfully reversed insulin-dependent diabetics, got them off their insulin, and actually reversed the diabetes. It is possible to do. I have a patient that we did it. I wrote a paper on it. He's amazing, amazing, amazing. So this can be done. But if you reach that state of insulin-dependent diabetic and you're there for many, many years, it gets harder and harder to turn back time and to reverse that condition. And you may be on insulin the rest of your life. And as we know, as you take in insulin, it puts you in that fat storage mode. The more insulin you take in, the more fat that you will gain. Now, if you are insulin dependent, we can work with you to at least reduce the amount of insulin that you need. And that will actually allow your body to use fat for fuel instead of the insulin that you're putting in. That's a different story. Okay. Insulin, back to insulin resistance. If you are insulin resistant, or if you are in that small percentage of the population that's pumping out too much insulin on a daily basis, you will be in a fat storage mode. That's another hormone. Insulin is a hormone that contributes to obesity. Obesity is a symptom to have us look a little bit deeper and look to see, are you insulin resistant? Are you pre-diabetic? 
And again, we have to look at you from a functional medicine perspective. We have to look at those numbers and see, are they optimal? So if you go back and watch my video on insulin resistance, you'll see that I mentioned that glucose needs to be below an 86 and your A1C optimal value is around a 5 or 5.1. Anything above that, even though it falls into the normal range, is considered insulin resistant. For every point above 86 that you are in your fasting glucose, you are increasing your risk of type 2 diabetes by 6%. Every single point. So if you're coming into 90, 92, your doctor's like, ah, you're normal, you're fine. Let's do the math. 86, 87, 89, 91, 92. You're at a 36% increased risk of type 2 diabetes. That's going to put you in a fat storage mode. Okay, moving on. Let's talk about leptin. I have some notes. I keep referring to them. Okay, there's ghrelin and there's leptin. We've talked a little bit about this before, but it's worth bringing up in the topic of obesity. Ghrelin is the hunger hormone. Think about your stomach growling. That's how I remember it. Growling, ghrelin. Hunger hormone. Leptin is the satiety hormone. Leptin is released by your fat stores. And it's released basically to say like, hey, you've eaten enough food, you can stop now. And many people have abnormal leptin signaling. Now, someone with leptin resistance is not necessarily going to want to eat 24-7. These are the extreme cases, but this is how we discovered it. They actually were looking at, I believe it was a six-year-old or a 10-year-old um, boy who would normally consume 2,000 calories per meal, not per day, her meal, was constantly hungry, could not stop eating, was three to four times the size that a boy his age should be. They discovered that he was missing the leptin gene, so he never felt satiated. He never felt full. They injected him with leptin, and his meals went down to around 180 calories per meal, which is normal for a boy his age, from 2,000 calories per meal to 180 based on his own hunger signals. Not because that's all they gave him, but it was based on his own hunger signals. 2,000 calories down to 180. Crazy. So now we are testing leptin because we are seeing that there's a huge tie-in to hypothyroidism, insulin resistance, and leptin resistance. If you are leptin resistant, even if you're not hungry all day long, you will have a greater propensity for weight gain. And you may find that you are not able to lose weight no matter what you do. No matter what you do, you won't be able to lose weight. Now through another part, we're moving on from leptin. And then I want to get to the little slideshow I have for you. Moving on from leptin, we have also found through the Human Genome Project a, a, a class of genes that we are slowly starting to look at and examine. And, and this is where you know, genes are great. It's great to get genetic testing done. But the direct-to-consumer genetic testing, like 23andMe, you have to kind of take with a grain of salt, and you really need to work with somebody to dig through all that. I know this is a little bit of a side note, but it's worth mentioning. I have so many patients that that hang their hat on the MTHFR gene. And, and I get it if you're positive, but do you know, there are more than two alleles to the MTHFR gene. 
And the direct-to-consumer testing only tests about two to three of those alleles. And there's many, many, many more, which gives that whole picture. And that's very expensive genetic testing. So we are just scratching the surface with 23andMe. Um, but what we are finding in regards to weight, basically weight loss resistance, um, I'm going to read from a study for you here. So this particular study found that the frequency of the GLY-16 allele of the ARG-16-GLY, I know this is all like genetic code for you right now. This is where we have the DNA strands and markers and polymorphisms and SNPs, which are singular, singular nucleopeptides. Say that five times fast. Little SNPs on your genome that say, hey, this can cause this problem and this can put you more at risk for this and this can cause this issue. So this is of the B2 adrenoceptor polymorphism. If you have these, you are significantly higher to be resistant to weight loss and you're going to be more apt to have rebound weight gain as compared to those with successful weight loss maintenance in the, the uh, control group. And then we are also finding that the frequency of the GLU-27 allele of the B2 adrenoceptor is higher in subjects who are weight loss resistant and in those with slow weight loss and people who fail to lose weight within six months compared to those with weight loss maintenance or rebound weight gain who loses weight in the short term. So these findings indicate that sympathetic overactivity is reflected by high plasma NE levels associated with the GLY-16 and the GLU-27 polymorphism might be linked to mechanisms that explain weight loss resistance and rebound weight gain despite adherence to long-term diet and exercise programs. So yes, it can actually come back to something in your genetic code, but we're still working on that at finding the correct testing to actually see. And it's expensive testing. It's not something you can order through 23andMe, but I know at the moment, I believe that they do test for the, it's called that FATSO gene, the FTSO gene. I believe that's in the 23andMe panel, um, but it can also come down to your genetics. Now, what we know about genetics, this is not a death sentence for you, that you will always be overweight. There is such thing as epigenetics. So it's what you are actually doing to turn that gene on and off. What are you doing in your environment? So last week we talked a lot about environmental factors that can affect your entire endocrine system. We talked about endocrine disruptors. What are you doing in your environment right now to turn those genes on and off? So we know that environmental toxins will trigger genes to, to turn on. Genes like um, uh, if you have a predisposition to diabetes, if you have a predisposition to Hashimoto's, stress and environmental toxins can actually flip those on. This is why we see many people have the expression of Hashimoto's after pregnancy. Pregnancy is a stress. After perimenopause, perimenopause is hormonal changes. That's a stress. And even after a large stressor, such as death, divorce, or loss of a job, that's often when we see things start to occur and um, autoimmune start to express itself. So those are genes turning on. Okay. 
So we talked about leptin. We talked about genes. We talked about the thyroid. We talked about insulin. We talked about looking sideways at a brownie. So we used to say long ago that a calorie is a calorie and just, you know, eat less and exercise more. And now we are finding that that is not the case. It is not your fault. It's not a personal choice. It's not as simple as eating too much, exercising too little, and that's why you're obese. A calorie is not a calorie. We have to look at what the food is doing inside of your body. What is your hunger? What's your basal metabolic rate? And what is your hormone status that can be affecting whether or not you are losing fat or burning fat? So this is what we said about gluttony and sloth. Obesity is not a medical condition. This is what they used to say. Obesity is not a medical condition. It's your fault. You have lack of willpower. You you just must eat too much or you're lazy. That is not the case. And this is the hypothesis that we've grabbed onto and we've sold in Weight Watchers and in, in workouts and in in what, what is that big thing? Body something, not body pump. It's the, what are the little, I don't know, those little containers that are color coded and you put your food in and that's how you measure your food. If I only thought of that years ago. Now I refer to this a lot in my teachings and I'm going to say it again. A group of men, this is one of the most interesting studies done. This is done by Ansel Keys. Back in 1944, they took a group of men. They gave them 1,570 calories per day, which they termed a semi-starvation diet. I wouldn't term it that, but they termed it semi-starvation. Now, granted, most guys are used to like 2,500 calories of food per day, maybe more. But what they found with 1,500 calories, and this isn't like an HCG diet. This isn't 900 calories a day. But what they found with the 1,570 is that the men's resting metabolic rates declined by 40%. And they had obsessive thoughts about food and binge eating. I've referred to this in terms of dieting for a show. I've been there. All I thought about was donuts and peanut butter. That's it. I wanted a jar of peanut butter. And a lot of donuts because my calories were dropped. That was the old school way of thinking. That was the bodybuilding lifestyle. We're going to put you on a really strict diet. We're going to drop your calories. You're going to do a crap ton of cardio, and then you're going to lose weight. That's not what happened. People get hungry. And then their body thermostat, your metabolic rate actually drops down. Your body is smart. And your body is smarter than than the credit that we give it right? We don't give our bodies enough credit. Our body is very, very smart. I've used this analogy many, many times. If you are bringing in two, if you own a coal plant and you're bringing in 2000 pounds of coal per day and you burn 2000 pounds of coal per day, and then there's a shortage, then there's a shortage and you're only getting 900 pounds of fuel per day. Are you still going to burn 2000 pounds of fuel per day? No, you're going to downregulate. You're going to downshift your metabolism, which for you means that your thyroid reverse or your free T3 is going to drop. Your reverse T3 is going to increase. Your metabolic rate is going to drop down and your body is going to go into a storage mode because it wants to conserve energy. It cannot burn 2000 pounds of fuel per day. 2000 calories per day, if you're only giving it 900. So by starving yourself, you're just doing yourself a disservice as we saw in that study by Ansel Keys. 
And this is where we get into this vicious cycle of undereating. You eat less, you lose weight, you have decreased energy expenditure, increased hunger, and then you regain the weight, but we blame you. This is another study that I have talked about over and over again. I find it fascinating. So this was done at Vermont State Prison. Initially, the man doing the study, um, endocrinologist Ethan Sims, wanted to do it with um, college students, but he couldn't get the college students to eat enough. So first he raised their food consumption to 4,000 calories a day. Some of them gained weight, but then it stabilized. And then he was doing 10,000 calories a day, carefully controlling their exercise. It took four to six months to increase their weight by 20 to 25%. Only one man uh, had a less than 10 pound weight gain. But the metabolisms increase. The metabolism actually increased by 50%. And you wouldn't think eating 10,000 calories a day, only a weight gain of 20%. You would never think that. You would think, oh my gosh, they're going to gain weight and never, never stop. We're also pounded with exercise more, exercise more, exercise more. 1980s, the new fitness revolution. We had aerobics. We had Jane Fonda, right? Exercise is fantastic. You need it. You need it to be healthy. You do. But if it worked, then we would see really awesome looking marathon runners, right? How many of you out there run marathons? And if you are regularly training, all of my women who train for regular marathons actually end up gaining weight because they, this, this study showed nine women, no weight lost. I actually see weight gain when training for a marathon, because the body downshifts its metabolism. You are literally putting stress on the body, cortisol increases, glucose increases. Most of you develop insulin resistance when training for a marathon. And there is no way in hell that your body can lose weight when doing that same pounding, stressful exercise day after day after day. Now, Exercise is great for increasing muscle tone. It increases the insulin sensitivity of the muscles. So if you are insulin resistant, we want your cells to be insulin sensitive. It's going to increase your bone density. It's going to decrease vascular disease. Yes, you have to exercise, but don't do it for weight loss. That's not going to cut it. We have to look at insulin. We have to look at your cortisol levels. We have to look at... Well, let's look at insulin for a second. So we said that insulin is the fat storage hormone. We're, we are using it for type 1 and type 2 diabetes. But we can actually see that you can get fat stores in the area where you inject the insulin. And that tells us this is lipogenic. This is actually going to lay down fat stores. So, yeah, I can make you thin, like I said earlier. Type 1 diabetes right? All we have to do is not treat you and you are going to have rapid weight loss. You're also going to lose muscle too. So you're going to lose weight and fat, no matter how many calories are, are ingested. Now I can make you fat by just giving you excess cortisol and excess insulin. So we could just pump a bunch of prednisone in you. And that's definitely going to make you fat. I can make you thin again by giving you Addison's disease. That's certainly not fun. That's lack of cortisol. That's too low cortisol. And then I can remove your thyroid. I can radioactive iodine blast your thyroid. I can diet you down like 900 calories a day to slow your thyroid. I can give you the wrong medication for your hypothyroidism too. 
that all comes back to optimization of the thyroid. Hormones are the key. If you increase insulin, you're going to increase weight. You decrease insulin, you decrease weight. If you increase cortisol to where it's pumping all day long, you're going to increase weight. If you decrease cortisol, you're going to decrease weight. So do we really think it's eating too much and exercising too little that makes us fat? No, it's not. Hormones. Obesity is a hormone dysregulation of fat. This is where insulin comes in, cortisol comes in, thyroid hormone comes in. So now we can't, we can't use behavior, gluttony, slot. You can't blame yourself anymore. Obesity is not a disease. It's not something that you have and you go, oh, well, I guess, you know, I have this and I have to live with it. Absolutely not. It's not lack of willpower. It's not overeating. It's not lack of exercise. It is all about the hormones and that's what it comes down to. That's what it comes down to. And that's why we check it. That's why we check your thyroid. That's why we check insulin. That's why we check cortisol. There is a hormonal theory of obesity. We don't get fat because we overeat. We overeat because we actually get fat. And then that triggers our, our signaling. So when you have insulin resistance, you're on a roller coaster. Insulin is going up and then it's going down. And when it's down, you're hungry. So then you're going to eat to bring the insulin and the blood glucose back up to baseline. And then it's going to spike again. And then you're going to send yourself on a constant roller coaster. So what's causing all this, right? It's, it comes down to the fattening carbohydrates that pump up your insulin levels, lead to obesity, and lead to this pattern of overeating and underactivity. That's what it is. Now, you eat too many carbohydrates, that's also going to cause your thyroid to get sluggish. Why? Because they are inflammatory. Now, I'm not going to get into all this. This goes back to the beginning of my talk. William Banting. So this guy, and this is what I'll say, and then, and then I'll come back to you here and we'll get to your questions. So this guy was a um, coroner and he was seriously overweight and he knew he needed to lose weight. So what did he do? He actually increased his exercise in the form of rowing because that's what they had back then, decreased his caloric intake, and he experienced no weight loss. And he was ready to throw in the towel. He was ready to give up. Then he talks to his friend who says, you know what? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to eat three meals a day. Those meals better be meat, fish, or game with you're allowed an ounce or two of stale toast. I don't know where the stale came in or cooked fruit on the side. So a little tiny little bit of carbohydrates, but not much. He had to avoid anything with sugar or starch like bread, milk, beer, sweets, potatoes. He avoided those fattening carbohydrates. And we call them fattening because that's what increases our insulin. It causes our pancreas to pump up more insulin. Or if you're type 1 or type 2 diabetic that needs insulin, it requires more insulin when you eat the fattening carbohydrates like bread, milk, beer, sweets, and potatoes. What happened is he finally started to lose weight. So then he published the letter on corpulence in 1863. And this is one of the most popular publications ever. If you want to go read it, by all means, go right ahead. But this guy back in what? He died in 1878. He wrote this in 1863. So I don't know, around 1860. This guy figured out the Atkins diet, the low carbohydrate diet, the ketogenic diet, whatever you want to call it. This is what he was doing. 
and it worked. So it's all about what does the food do when it gets into your body? Is it inflaming your thyroid and downregulating it? Are you eating gluten that is increasing the attack on your thyroid itself? Are you doing things that are going to spike your blood sugar and your insulin? Are you doing things that are increasing your cortisol levels? This is where obesity starts. You can grab uh, my free guide, the top three things you can do right now to lose weight. We are talking about low vitamin D levels because that's another biggie. So yes, you have to get your thyroid tested. I give you all of the labs to get in there. I give you the optimal levels for glucose and insulin. Um, I also give you information about vitamin D and I will have another video coming out this week regarding that low vitamin D levels are associated with increased abdominal fat, increased obesity, increased insulin resistance. It gets really crazy. So your vitamin D levels are also important. And for my ladies that are losing hair, optimal vitamin D levels are important as well. It's just a little side note. I know it's not associated with obesity, but it is associated with hypothyroidism. That's one of the big, big symptoms of hypo. So low vitamin D levels, not what you want. Okay. So let's get to all of my peeps and your questions. Mary, what should our iron ferritin be? 12 and vitamin D levels be optimal cortisol level connection, high reverse D3. Ooh, that's a lot, Mary. Okay. Um, Iron and ferritin has to be mid to upper. Well, let's go with ferritin, mid to upper range. Every lab is different there. So I can give you pretty much, and of course it varies from country to country. I have patients in different countries that we have to look at those standard lab value ranges, those normal ranges to really get where they should be. Um, but ferritin levels, uh, mid to upper quadrants, I really kind of prefer them. And if I had to break it down into to four, I would want it, Definitely over half, if not more, in the upper quadrant. Um, and then B12 has to be 700 or above. There really is no upper limit to B12. Although the kind of side note to that is high B12 levels can also be associated with B12 anemia. You really want to test methylmalonic acid instead of B12 to get an accurate level. Vitamin D optimal levels are 80 or above. It's very, very hard to go toxic on vitamin D. And the prescription vitamin D will not raise your levels at all. I will go into that in a separate video this week. Cortisol levels, you want it in the curve. So with cortisol, we do a four-point salivary cortisol panel, and we want it in the range because your cortisol starts high and then goes down low throughout the day. So even if you get a couple of high spikes, depending on what that number is, sometimes we just look at, you know, what was your day like? Did you go through a stressful period at noon when your cortisol went a little bit above range? But if in general, we see that nice cortisol pattern, we don't worry about it but we look at each point along that four-point salivary cortisol and make sure that it is within range, that you're not flatlining low, flatlining high, or that you are a reverse curve. And then high reverse T3 will absolutely stop T3, the active thyroid hormone, from getting into the cell. So when you have a high reverse T3, and we like T3 below a 12, when you have a high reverse T3, we have to look at, are you converting too much T4 into reverse T3, especially if you are on a T4 medication, we may have to change those ratios. So it might all come down to your medication as well. Hope, this is me. I was put on Fendermine for a few months and it did absolutely nothing weight loss wise. Ooh, this is a good one. Hope, thank you for posting that. My Fendermine people. 
Phenamine will bump up your metabolism in the short term. I have no problems with my patients using it. Oftentimes we say, you know, try to use it every other day, maybe every third day, just to space it out. Sometimes that will give somebody just that little bit of a kick in the ass that they need for metabolism to get it up and running. Um, of course, we look at contraindications. If you have heart disease, tachycardia, anything like that. If you're on a T3 medication, we look at the combination of the two. However, if you have used phenamine and you do not experience weight loss, and especially if you use phenamine and you get a crash afterwards, because you know phenamine is actually supposed to give you some energy, right? If you feel absolutely fatigued, like you run a marathon and been through the ringer, you're taxing your adrenals by taking phenamine. So that's a sure sign. And, and um, hope, I will say, if phenamine did not work, then there is something metabolic going on that we need to address with you. So keep that in mind. And of course, always you can reach out to me and we can work together. Right? Right. Jan, you said, is there a relationship between low iron levels and Hashimoto's? Yes. So when we look at the iron panel, we want to get total iron percent saturation, TIBC and ferritin. Low ferritin is kind of the most important, but we want to look at that whole picture. And if someone is anemic and especially if they have less than optimal. I won't say low ferritin because I don't want you to think that it means low in terms of the standard lab value range. If you have less than optimal ferritin levels, that will interfere with T4 to T3 conversion. So when we're talking about the thyroid, we want that T4, the inactive thyroid hormone, we want that to convert to T3. So there's another cause of obesity, even if you already have been diagnosed with hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's and you're not converting properly, you will not lose weight. And I have many patients that we are working on getting them on the optimal dose of, of medication. We're slowly climbing up and they'll say to me, listen, I am doing absolutely everything I can. I'm, I'm strict with my eating. I take care of myself. I get it. Believe me, I get it. But it doesn't matter what you do. And this is why when we first talk, I always say nutrition plays a role, but it's not the be all end all. It does not matter what you do. If your thyroid is not optimized, if you are not converting T4 to T3 properly, that will put the brakes on your metabolism and you will not experience weight loss. You will not experience an improvement in your symptoms until we get your thyroid optimized and really make sure that that T4 to T3 conversion is happening properly. So iron is one of them. Low ferritin levels will prevent T4 to T3 conversion. Low ferritin levels is also associated with hair loss for my hair loss ladies. Um, it's associated with hair loss. But just to review, obesity is not a disease. It is a symptom of something underlying. It could be metabolic syndrome. It could be insulin resistance, dysregulated hormones, hypothyroidism, Hashimoto's, non-optimized thyroid levels, even if you are already diagnosed and you've been told that you're normal. It can be low vitamin D levels. It can be a genetic SNP, a genetic polymorphism that sets you up to be obese, but you can override that, remember. So when we get everything in line, which is entirely possible to do, I promise you, when we address that metabolic chaos that's going on in your body, you absolutely can lose weight. And then exercise just becomes a healthy bonus and it helps bump up your metabolism a little bit, but it's not the be all end all answer to losing weight. It's just going to get you healthy and make your body comp look better because you don't want to be skinny fat. You want to have some muscle. You want to have some shape. You want to have some tone. You want to be strong. You want to increase your bone density, but you're not going to lose weight by killing yourself at the gym and under eating. Eat less and exercise more is false. It is completely 
and totally false. So do not hang your hat on that premise. Get out of the 1980s way of thinking of counting your calories. Stop Weight Watchers if that's what you're doing right now. It's a waste of your time and money. And balance out your hormones and balance out your metabolism and get yourself out of that metabolic chaotic state that you are in so your body can actually operate the way it's meant to. Thank you so much for listening to the Thyroid Fix Podcast. Please share this and any episode that you absolutely love on your social media platforms. And please give me a review. It is so appreciated. It just gets the message out even more. Now, as a disclaimer, we know that this is just intended for educational purposes only and is not meant to treat or diagnose any medical condition. You can always consult your healthcare professional with any questions. If you want to reach out to me, you can go to my website at amyhorneman.com. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Amy Horneman Nutrition. And you can subscribe to my YouTube channel to see live videos and all the good stuff that I put out through the week in addition to this podcast. Just search me on YouTube and subscribe to my channel.